0: Are Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Adam Arnbrecht from Locked On Nets to discuss the impact of Kevin Durant's injury for the Brooklyn Nets and the adjustments for Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and the rest of the Nets supporting cast without Katie in the lineup over these next few weeks Then we chat with David Romil from Locked On Heat about why the Miami Heat have struggled compared to the success that they had last season, plus the uncertain future of Kyle Lowry and whether or not he makes it past the trade deadline. Lastly, we catch up with Joe Mullinax from Locked On Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies are riding a nine-game winning streak behind some insane play from John Morant, but are the Grizzlies getting the respect that they deserve as true contenders? As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Now, today's episode is also brought to you by Prize First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. That's prizepix.com, promo code LOCKED ON. Joining us now is Adam Armbruck from Locked On Nets. You can find wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Locked On Nets. Also available on YouTube. Now, Adam, Nets 27, 15, number two in the Eastern Conference. But man, just when it felt like everything was coming together for this Nets team and you suffer the the setback of a Kevin Durant injury, now this team going to be without KD for at least a couple more weeks here. I do want to know the specific timetable at hand, but just, just how difficult is it for this team to lose Katie right when it really did feel like everything was starting to kind of coalesce?
1: Yeah, I think, and thank you for having me on, Jackson. Um, I think that it's difficult from the standpoint of you felt like you were on this run, that everything was in place, right? And you're getting this continuity. There's a lot of new players around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving this year, and everything else has been put to the side. No off-the-court issues, no nonsense, just basketball. So him suffering the injury at this point was frustrating, and at the same time, you look at it and you say it was a two-week reevaluation. It's going to be at least a month before he gets himself back out there on the court. You combine that with the long layoff that you get around the All-Star break. Listen, there's worse times to suffer an injury like this that doesn't seem like it's going to impact the long-term outlook this season for the Nets. And the other thing is that when you look at this roster, it's just far better constructed this year than it was a year ago, ironically around the same time when Kevin Durant had an injury, to be able to sustain, to be able to get through this stretch, and they've built up a nice bit of equity here, as you mentioned, being second in the East right now and having a solid record.
0: How do guys like like Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons need to kind of adjust their games in the absence of KD? And even, even beyond those two guys, just the rest of the roster, how do guys step up? Because filling the void that KD leaves is not exactly an easy
1: task. This is not what you call a one-to-one. Uh just replace Kevin Durant, insert other guy, right? You don't want to nave. Give me 38 minutes and really take over ball games. But as Doug and I have talked about on the podcast, so much of it is just about, and we broke this down even by minutes for a lot of guys. Okay. You know Seth Curry, you're going to play three or four more minutes a game. And no, that's not a one-to-one, but he's an on-ball creator. He has a mid-range shot, and you've seen that already in these couple of games without Kevin Durant. Joe Harris, increase his minutes. Maybe get him back into the starting rotation here. Same thing for a Yuta Watanabe for a TJ Warren offseason acquisition. So really, it's about the sum of the parts when it comes to the supporting cast. Now, when you go up the chain of command, Kevin Durant and Kyrie had had this kind of nice balance at the start of this year where Kevin Durant, he basically is Mr. Consistency throughout all four quarters, but close to halves. And then coming out into the fourth quarter, Kyrie would kind of take over and cook a little bit. So the balancing act for Kyrie is not go hero ball, right? Because you feel like, well, now I'm the lone superstar and that's what I need to do. Let the game come to you. Trust the supporting cast. And we've seen some good samples already with that. For Ben Simmons, it's a little bit different because... The rare thing that he was able to pull off of having a double-double and not scoring any points the other night, like, it stands out. It's glaring. And there are moments in games, especially when you lost to Boston. Listen, it was a double-digit loss. There was, wasn't was an easy recipe to win that game, except for the fact that that Ben Simmons is in around the basket. And if he's just a little more aggressive and really looks to attack, you get rewarded with that. I We want him to take that next step. But I don't think that you want to demand it right now in the absence of Kevin Durant because it can lead to potentially more detrimental play from him. He's locked in defensively right now. He's doing incredible things from a facilitator standpoint. Yes, he needs to step up, and he's said as much in post-games, needs to get his own shot. But I don't want him to try to do the next thing and end up diminishing things that he's doing right now at a very high level.
0: I know you have your your concerns in there for it, but does it almost feel like this is... All things considered, like a potential silver lining to come from this is Ben Simmons almost being forced into
1: that next gear, right? That that more aggressive style of play in the absence of KD. Yeah, I, I think you know if if Kevin Durant doesn't go down, and we're not we're not counting our blessings that he did, but if he doesn't, then Ben Simmons gets to keep serving the very specific role that it is, right? Locking in defensively and setting the table. Now you have to, if you weren't going to do it on your own, and Jock Vaughn has talked about this too, he needs to start to ramp up that next phase. If you weren't going to do it on your own, there is going to come times when you're going to have to do it over this month without Kevin Durant. And if you can't, especially with that trade deadline kind of looming here, it will be an indicator to Sean Marks in this organization. Hey, do we need to go out and do something to supplement what we have right now if Ben Simmons has a very clear ceiling in a specific area of his game?
0: Assuming everyone is healthy and available outside of KD, obviously, I mean, who who steps into the starting lineup permanently for KD and how drastically does that kind of affect rotations and whatnot moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe Harris had been out of the starting rotation. Now, he dealt with like a little minor injury. Royce O'Neill has been a per- pretty permanent fixture there. We were a little bit surprised that that was the first replacement when we went into that Boston game with Joe getting the nod. Now, Jock Vaughn has a history as being an assistant coach, being an interim head coach, and Joe has been here. He's the longest 10-year net, so I think there's a reward factor there. Matchup to matchup, it's going to change because, you know, Joe has enough size when you have the right defensive pieces around him so he can hold his own against some guards. Seth Curry undersized. You want a little more shot creation or defensive versatility, you're going to go to T.J. Warren. Yuta Watanabe has been a nice little piece. It really becomes matchup based. But it looks like the smartest way to avoid disrupting more of your rotation is to put the guy who's been a starter in Joe Harris into that lineup and then build out from there. And remember, TJ Warren coming off of an off-season long off-season injury, right? Ben Simmons has his own issues. Yuta Watanabe's never been a 20-25 minute consistent guy. Even Seth Curry has always been kind of that off the bench, you know, spark player for you. So you don't want to be disruptive in that way. It could just be symbolic, but I think Joe is the first answer and then you build on their game to game.
0: Last thing here for you, Adam, I mean, over this next stretch, right, without Katie, what do you want to see? Or maybe what are your expectations for this team without Kevin Durant? What would you consider a win during this time frame?
1: Got to be above 500. I, you know, I, I it's probably not enough. When you look at some of the teams they're playing against, there's some bad ones on there, especially Eastern Conference. So there's some very winnable games. You know, we said this. With Kevin Durant, you're a championship-level team. Without Kevin Durant, you're still a really good basketball team, right? So I would think that they would be a back-end playoff team if they didn't have Kevin Durant over the course of an 82-game season. So you want to be 500. You don't want. You don't. Biggest thing you don't want to do is fall out of being able to compete for those top two or three seeds in the Eastern Conference. So that means staying in the top six seeds. They had about a four and a half, five-game cushion over some of those teams when Kevin Durant went down. So be a couple of games over 500 and most importantly, show the consistency, show the consistency in your roles. Don't get out of practice in those habits, because when Kevin Durant comes back, it's just about, again, falling right back into that rhythm and falling into line with what you need to do in support of the superstar. So maintain, maintain. And honestly, some guys like Ben Simmons show a little bit of growth, because those are things you can still build on here. By the time Kevin Durant comes back you're going to be staring down 20, 25 games left in the season. It's going to be go time, right? It's ramp up and get dialed in, and you really don't have time to hesitate around what players need to be doing. Can the Nets keep their
0: footing without Kevin Durant in the lineup? Who steps up in KD's absence? Of of course, you're going to cover for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Adam, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. Coming up, why have the Miami Heat struggled compared to the success that they had last season? Plus, what happens with the future of guard Kyle Lowry? And will he make it past the trade deadline as a member of the Miami Heat? But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game taking Luka Doncic to score more than 26.5 points. What about LeBron James to have more than 7.5 rebounds? How about Giannis Antetokounmpo to have less than 6.5 assists? And what about Steph Curry to have more than 3.5 three-pointers made? So, what is PrizePix? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their PrizePix projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, you name it. They've got you covered over at PrizePix. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They offer safe and fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states. States and Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. Bucks. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is David Ramil from Locked on Heat. You can find wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Locked on Heat as well as searching Locked on Heat on YouTube. David, the Miami Heat this season are in a very different spot than they were last season, right? I mean, you you look at them now, they're 24 and 27th seed in the Eastern Conference, a far cry from where they were last season. But when you look at the numbers, 23rd in in offense, 8th in defense, slipping a little bit defensively from last year, they were 4th in defense, but then the offensive slippage, especially from from 12th last season to 23rd this season. Let's start there. I mean, why have the Heat slipped so much offensively from last year to this year?
2: It's specifically the three-point shot. Last year, they were tops in the league and knocking it down. This year, not so much. They haven't gotten that kind of steady production, and it's kind of been inexplicable. It's not like it's a completely different cast of characters out there. They just haven't been able to shoot the ball as effectively. Max Struess has been in and out of the starting lineup. Caleb Martin's been okay as a three-point shooter. A lot of that falls on Kyle Larry. He's been struggling for the three-point shot mightily. And I think he's been the biggest factor in that regard. Aside from that, no PJ Tucker. As you recall, he started off the season last year being tops in the league in three-point accuracy this year. No Tucker, not that not the same level. Of three point shooting as we had last year, and that's just been the the, the tail of it basically. Uh, aside from that, nothing really changing in terms of their overall offense. They haven't changed personnel significantly. They haven't changed their uh, way of attacking the basket or anything like that. They just haven't been able to knock down the three point shot as easily as they did last year.
0: You know, I'm glad you bring up Kyle Lowry there because I, I you know, what's curious to me is the Heat this season are actually seven and one. Without Lowry in the lineup, I mean, is it a stretch to say that the Heat might actually be playing better basketball without Kyle Lowry out there? They play differently out there.
2: And I think it's still a a matter of when Lowry's out there, he's been struggling. And I'm not sure if it's because of age, although that's probably the main factor. He may be injured. We don't really get much in terms of updates from either Kyle, who's largely unavailable to media here in South Florida, and he is somewhat crusty about dealing with reporters. So that's just the reality of who he is. And the heat PR hasn't been very open about whether or not he's dealing with anything. Of course, we know about Personal issues that kept them in and out of the lineup last year, those have cropped up this season as well. I'm not sure if if you could go so far as to say they play better, but they do play differently. They attack the basket more. They have more speed, especially with the resurgence of Victor Huladipo, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Kyle, because he hasn't been knocking down the shot as well, and because he just can't get to the rim, he just does not have that superior burst at this point in his career, is just not very effective out there. So that's basically what it boils down to.
0: And I I do I do want to talk about all the depot. but I just uh, while we're on the subject of Kyle Lowry, I mean, what is it does it feel like this Miami team is maybe at a crossroads with Kyle Lowry as far as his future is concerned? I mean, do you do you look at this as a deadline where Kyle Lowry could potentially be on the move? And if so, I mean, what what exactly what type of return would this Miami Heat be looking what type of return would the team be looking to get for Kyle Lowry at this deadline?
2: That's a great question and one that I don't know we have a clear answer for because there are incredible mitigating factors here. One, his age, one his salary. uh, One, his also relationship with Jimmy Butler, like they're close friends. And I don't know that you can risk another year wasting of Jimmy Butler's prime just to salvage that friendship and not hurt Kyle's feelings or hurt Jimmy's feelings. You know, you have to get Butler's buy-in before you consider any kind of trade for Kyle Lowry. And it's not like he's been a bad heat player. He just hasn't been a very good player. He's had his moments here and there, but he's just not particularly effective. So I'm not sure that you can trade Kyle Larry. I'm sure a lot of Heat fans disagree in thinking that he's the priority in terms of what you want to trade. And as far as what you'd want back, probably a front court player, to be a little bit more consistent. Caleb Martin has been good in that role. He's knocking down the three-point shot. He's tops on the team in that regard, but he's not a consistent four. He's just a little undersized, and while he's brought his own athleticism and flash to the position, he just doesn't have it to be as consistent at that role. So you'd want to have somebody that's a little bit taller, a little bit more useful when it comes to rebounding, but also plays well with Miami's overall defensive scheme, which is, you know, to switch everything and playing alongside Bam Adebayo, who's somewhat undersized himself at the center position.
0: Now Victor Oladipo, who is I, I think is a great story, and just you know he's he's gone through so much trying to get back to the level that he was at you know his pre-injury self. Over these last ten games, he's averaging fourteen point eight points on solid efficiency, looking good. While I mean, what are you seeing out of his out of his play over this recent stretch?
2: He's been fantastic. The burst is back. He's moving laterally really really well. The shot is still kind of a work in progress. The three point shot in particular, just with everybody else on the team, he's just not knocking it down as regularly. But he has the confidence. Like part of the struggle with Victor this season is whether or not he'd be willing to embrace the role coming off the bench. He's absolutely done that. He's leading Miami's bench in last night's win over the Milwaukee Bucks that he actually were able to sit Jimmy Butler for the entire fourth quarter as Oladipo and Bama led their comeback and were able to kind of, you know, put their, their boots on Milwaukee's throat and able to close out that game. And Oladipo was fantastic. The two man game is really, really working well. He's been very, very good. And in, in terms of leading the offense, and some people think he might be a better starter than Lowry at this point, having him play the de facto point guard, dishing the ball out, et cetera. So, We'll see if there's a change to the starting lineup. I would prefer that he stay as a backup because I just think he's been a little bit more effective in that role. And you've got pretty good chemistry with the starters. They haven't been the problem. It's been the bench. And now all of a sudden you've got some more stability and certainly much more production with Victor coming off the bench and being really, really good. He's just, he's not quite to where he was, but as you well know, he was very, very good as an Indiana Pacer, obviously an all-star, but he's been the closest he's been since these, string of injuries that have sapped so much of his athleticism over the last three years.
0: And then kind of being in that reserve role, coming off the bench, maybe a little bit less pressure as well. You're playing against opposing second units. It just lends itself to a a bit of an easier atmosphere for Victor Oladipo to try and continue to get back up to speed to the level of play that we know that he was at once before. Now, I, I feel like I may already have the answer to this, David, based on some of your previous answers. But I mean, kind of going into this trade deadline, what are some of the biggest needs for this Miami Heat team? Yeah, it's a, 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 you know, a four-pointer. Shooting.
2: <laughs> yeah. shooting would be it. If you could find somebody, again, ideally, you want somebody who's like a switchable big to play alongside Pam and because I still think that's probably the best alternative or iteration of this team is to have somebody like that at the four, moving Caleb back off the bench and further solidifying the reserve unit. If you can get somebody like that, somebody to play, Kind of similar to what we got from uh P.J. Tucker last year here in Miami. It could work. But then again, you might not be able to make any moves. And I keep telling Heat Nation that. I keep telling the fans they might not be able to make any moves because Miami just doesn't really have a lot of trade assets, which is why they couldn't consummate a deal for either Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant or anybody else this offseason. They might just wait to see if Jake Crowder gets bought out, bring him back to a system where he's familiar and plug him in at the four, move Caleb back to the bench, and then be closer to what the team was when they advanced all the way to the NBA Finals a couple of seasons ago.
0: What does the future ultimately hold for Kyle Lowry? What moves, if any, will Miami make this upcoming trade deadline. Of course, you always us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Heat. David, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. Anytime. Coming up, the Memphis Grizzlies are riding a nine game winning streak behind some insane play from John Morant, But are they getting the respect that they deserve as contenders? We're going to get there. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Because look, if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories that usually comes along with that, then you've got to try Built Bar. Look, you're still, you know, New Year's resolutions still going strong. You're trying to stick to that. You can do that with Built Bar because healthy is actually tasty with Bilt Bar. Seriously, they're so delicious. You won't even think that they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in so many, oh my goodness. They come in so many incredible flavors. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, raspberry, strawberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel. The list goes on and on and on. My personal favorite is the coconut brownie chunk. But you really can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, lose a little bit of weight, stick to those New Year's resolutions. You can check them out. Just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at Built.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all podcast platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, including YouTube. Joining us now is Joe Molinax from Locked On Grizzlies. You can follow wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. Just search Locked On Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies, Joe, 29 and 13 at the time of this recording. Tied for the number one spot in the Western Conference, riding a nine-game winning streak, during which John Morant is averaging 28.9 points per contest, including quite possibly... The dunk of the year, Joe. Help me out here. First, before we dive into anything else Memphis Grizzlies related, what was your reaction to that insane poster by Ja against the Grizzlies? Or sorry, I
1: was, against the Pacers. I apologize. Yeah. I,
0: well, it's
1: just so awe-inspiring. It it makes
3: it defies logic. So I don't fault you at all for your, uh, your flub there. Um, I was out to dinner with my wife. So I'm going to be honest. I had to catch that game on delay but my phone started buzzing as your phone tends to do when you get messages and notifications. And, you know, they're like, you got to it! you got, I was like, what are these people talking about? And, you know, it, you know, the NBA account looked like a fan account, like, Oh my God, they dunk don't go the year. And you, you watch it and it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I, I, this is going to sound very snobbish of me and I try not to do that as someone that follows the Memphis Grizzlies as I have, as long as I have over a decade now doing this kind of work. Um, I'm not surprised anymore. Like this dude would have done this to Kevin Love or other guys that he's tried to dunk on and he's just missed. Um, He is the amazing is no longer shocking. It's amazing to watch what he has done in such a short time period with his NBA career. He is must see TV. Every time he steps on the court, Uh, Luka Doncic is having a better season I'm not going to argue MVP and all that sort of stuff you can argue for maybe a few other guys in front of John that way he's in the top 10 players in the National Basketball Association comfortably the numbers back it up as you outlined and when it comes to like wanting to watch somebody play no offense to anybody else I don't know how you put anybody other than John Morant number one because of what he did to the Indiana Pacers and the fact he could do it against anyone at any given time
0: he he really is such an electric just like I don't know gravity defying guy like he it feels like it feels like every single night he steps on the floor you see another like highlight reel moment or something that he just puts together and he and, I mean the crazy part is he makes it look easy when he goes out there and does those things and then the whole like his little like as he fell back into the arms of Stephen Adams after the dunk was was just the the cherry on top of that but when you when you look at Jaw compared to some of the, uh, these other top guys, right, the, the the guys whose names you associate with the MVP conversation, Luka Doncic, Giannis, uh, Jokic, obviously these other names. I mean, does it feel like Jaw gets maybe I don't want to say gets the respect that he deserves, but do you feel like people kind of do associate him with those other names, or do you think there's maybe a separation in those tiers where they've got like those guys and then Jaw like one cut below?
3: My co-host at uh, at Lockdown Grizzlies, Michael Cole, and I talked about this on a recent episode. Um, The idea that Ja might be not necessarily underappreciated, I don't think that's fair to say at this stage. Uh, But, you know, the all-star vote and how far ahead Steph Curry and Luka Doncic are ahead of Ja Morant. You know, why is that? Because of everything that we just talked about. And again, Luka is having a remarkable season. Steph, before he got hurt and obviously just recently returned, having a fantastic season. I'm not in the business of saying Jaws better than those two guys, because I think that's a losing argument for everyone when you try to have that debate. I think they're the three, in my opinion, clearly best point guards in the National Basketball Association. All three of them can play. There should probably be three backcourt spots, but that's maybe a topic for another episode. Um, I think that it is, it's understandable to not include him among the Jokic's of the world and, and others, but it's important to understand just how important Morant is to these Grizzlies. Jaron Jackson Jr., extremely valuable, best two-way player on the team, although Morant had a highlight block in that game that uh, we, we also aren't talking about, the, the way he – essentially his head was above the rim blocking that shot, but I digress. Uh, Jaron's the best two-way player on the team. Desmond Bain is rounding back into near all-star form as an offensive weapon himself. John Morant is the straw that stirs the drink, and whether it's the we're fine in the West comments that maybe ruffles some feathers, I think he's very unapologetically himself. Not that other guys aren't that, but he is very audacious, both in terms of the way he plays the game and off the floor. Uh, His personality is very unapologetically him. And I think that perhaps folks uh, don't appreciate that as much as as the other players that maybe don't talk in that way. So credit to Morant, he backs up his talk, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be beloved in NBA circles when it comes to these year-end awards.
0: I, I, would, I would just love to see, like, a full, like, just Ja Morant embrace, like, the villainous, just, like, villain arc. Like, it would be great. It would be high-level high entertainment to, to see for sure.
3: Unfortunately, you can't do that when you're giving away Ja 1s to kids.
0: <laughs> right. He, you know, just, he, he's, he's, too, he's too nice likable. Person. Right. <laughs> oh. He just talked
3: a lot of trash, but so do the rest of the Grizzlies.
0: There we go. There we go. Uh, you, you mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. there, his, his, you know, being the best, the, the two way force for this Grizzlies team. You know, we, there was a lot of speculation on just, you know, the the Grizzlies kind of maybe a bit of a slow start on the defensive side of things to the season. They were missing Jaron Jackson Jr., his impact. What have you seen since since he's been able to return to the court, just his overall impact and, and where, you know, where he should shake out as far as just potential like DPOY Award is concerned this year, because when when I look at the list one, I think this year might be a bit of a weaker year for like DPOY players. But I immediately think Jaron Jackson Jr.'s got to be in that conversation.
3: He's an eater of worlds is what he is. And I, you know, as impressive as John Morant is dunking the basketball and obviously you as a host here on our network, you appreciate good basketball. Watch Jaron Jackson Jr. play defense and you will see that he is very clearly the defensive player of the year. No offense To Claxton and Brooklyn. I know he's having a great season. Obviously, Brooke Lopez and the Bucs are a very strong defensive team and Lopez is kind of having, you know, again, I'm an old hat Grizzlies guy. Lopez is kind of having a Mark Gasol esque defensive player of the year season when Gasol won it, uh, almost a decade ago now. Um, I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. is very clearly the best defensive player in the National Basketball Association. The Grizzlies defense is eight points better when he's on the floor per cleaning the glass. He is just phenomenal in terms of block percentage. There's nobody really close to him. He was hovering around 6% the last I looked, which is just an ungodly number. Um, He is just a, a dominant, dominant force in terms of how he impacts the game. He plays passing lanes. He has elite ability to get up off the ground after a first leap. So he times a block with his left hand on one end and the ball gets recovered by an opponent on the other side. And then he blocks it with the opposite hand with his right hand. He's done that multiple times and he is just really making it difficult for teams to do anything at and around the rim. And he's doing it non-traditionally because he has Steven Adams by his side. He's able to be more of that help weak side defender that can be that center fielder that really puts himself in position to block those shots. You know, Stephen Adams and Dylan Brooks, of course, as well, you know, the Grizzlies are a pretty solid defensive team in their own right, not just because of Jaron. But as you alluded to, Jaron Jackson Jr. returns and the team takes off. So as biased as I am about Dylan Brooks and, and Stephen Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., just like Jaw is the straw that serves the drink offensively, Sharon Jackson Jr. is their defensive weapon. They don't have him out there. They're not the same team, and they're not a title contender if Sharon isn't playing the defense that he is
0: right now. What a way to put it. Yeah, the Grizzlies are they're they're a pretty good defensive team. Like what a way to undersell it. The Grizzlies are a fantastic defensive team, but I think they're number one in the NBA. Is that good, Jackson? That might be pr- that might be pretty good, Joe. Might good. be pretty good. Okay. Look, and we we could talk about Ja being the guy that the, you know stirs the drink offensively. We could talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. and his his impact, and you know how he anchors the defense for the Grizzlies. But the architect of it all, right? The guy who pulls all the strings, puts it all together. Head coach Taylor Jenkins. I mean, at this mm. point, ha- how how strong of a case does he have, or should he have, for coach of the year at this point?
3: How much time do you have? I, how much
0: time do I have? <laughs> but, uh, I, Thank you. You got all the time so, in the world that you want, I am Joe.
3: So appreciative of you, Jackson, for bringing this up. Because I'm going to go on a mini rant here. I know how we do our segment. Get, gonna... get up on your soapbox. You got this. I, I can't believe that this man did not get a single vote in the NBA midseason media report. And DeMichael Cole was one of the voters. My partner on Locked on Grizzlies was one of the voters. So you better believe on a recent episode, I, I chewed it out. Like, how does this dude not have a single vote? They weren't healthy until Christmas. When Jaron was out, Desmond was in. And then as soon as Jaron comes back, Desmond is out. They are younger in their rotation. Danny Green hasn't played a single second. They took a team that was one of the youngest in the NBA last year and got younger. And yet here we are. Once again, talking about the Memphis Grizzlies is one of the best teams in the NBA and nobody respects Taylor Jenkins. It's infuriating. The Brooklyn Nets have multiple Hall of Famers. The Boston Celtics likely have multiple Hall of Famers. Nikola Jokic might be the best big man in the history of the NBA. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying he might be. If you look at the numbers and the way, if he's a three-time MVP award winner, what do the Grizzlies have? They have a 23-year-old John Morant, a 23-year-old Jaron Jackson Jr., a 20-some, 24, 25, Desmond Bain. They are one of the youngest teams in the NBA, and all they do is win, acknowledge Taylor Jenkins, you cowards! Every single one of you watching this, listening to this, I'm looking right at you through your spirit and your soul. Acknowledge Taylor Jenkins; he's the coach of the year, whether you like it or not.
0: I'm done. Oh wow! I, I I'm glad I'm glad I gave you the chance to bring uh, that to, to to just shed some light on that situation, I feel, Joe. Now, I feel, I feel lighter. Though. Was yeah. that was that a little a little cathartic for you? It was. Uh, now yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Asked you about Ja and we talked a little bit about MVP. Asked you about Jaron Jackson Jr. We talked a little bit about, about DPOI. And then to keep things rolling, we talked about coach of the year for Taylor Jenkins. If you could only pick one award Ooh. for the Grizzlies to walk away with this season, who would you pick?
3: <laughs> Ironically, I just went on that rant and I'm not going to say Taylor Jenkins. Uh, if I had to pick one <laughs> in terms of who I think truly deserves it, again, I can't argue against Luka Doncic and what he's doing in Dallas. I can't argue what Steph was doing before he got hurt. Uh, I try to be unbiased in my grizzlies w. Um Jaw is an excellent player. I don't know that he has put together a better season than those guys. And you mentioned Jokic. He's phenomenal. It, he's an all-NBA guy, I think Jaw is clearly. Not sure he's the MVP. Taylor Jenkins should be the coach of the year, but I'm not going to pick a coach over a player. Jaron Jackson Jr. should be the defensive player of the year. I've watched a lot of NBA basketball. I have rarely seen someone dominate a game, be able to defend one through five and be six foot 11, 240 some pounds. The only other guy I've seen do that is Giannis. That's the only other player that is capable of doing what Jaron Jackson Jr. is currently doing in the NBA. He switches onto a perimeter player. He's fine. He's defending a big on the block. He's fine. He's playing weak side defense. He's there out on the perimeter doing a switch. He's running through a screen. He's hedging. He's you know, playing all sorts of drop defense. He is, like I said earlier, the eater of worlds. No matter what you try to do offensively, he's not going to let you do it. His weakness is fouling. That's still an issue in his game. Uh, he had a slow stretch when they were 1-4 and four around the holidays uh, where he got in foul trouble again, and that was one of the major reasons they had issues was he was in foul trouble. But he's gotten right in that way, and like I said, no disrespect to Claxton. There's plenty of good bridges in Phoenix and Smart in Boston, obviously, the reigning winner. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the best defensive player in the NBA, and it would be a shame if he doesn't win that award.
0: Can the Memphis Grizzlies continue their dominance this season? What awards will they walk away with by season's end? Of course, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Grizzlies. Joe, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me.
3: Thank you for having me. Sorry for yelling at your listeners.
0: And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen. Now, for your second listen, go check out Game to Game. Every moment, every top performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.